There we are. Just making sure that you're awake, as I am. Welcome to church, everyone. Welcome to those of you joining us online. It's great to have you this morning. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great honor and privilege to welcome you to this wonderful uh, weekend of worship that we're having together. Uh, This is one of your first times joining us. May I encourage you to let us know that you're here. You can do that by filling out one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. For those of you that are joining us online, you can go to vlchurch.com and look for the banner that says, Are You New Here? Click on that banner and fill out that form, and we'd love to connect with you sometime sometime this week. Well, as you know, uh, this weekend we're celebrating Independence Day in the United States of America. Nearly 250 years ago, we declared freedom and independence from Great Britain. And it is my opinion, and it probably is yours too, that we still live in the greatest country in human history. Would you agree? And, and you know, sometimes we just need a little reminder of what the true meaning of Independence Day is and what July 4th uh, actually means. So uh, in that spirit, may I encourage you to watch this video.
Well, thanks for indulging us. Yes. <clears throat> I trust that's an ovation for our country and not for the video. But uh, nonetheless, happy 4th of July, everyone. And I hope that you will uh, uh, honor the admonition that was given by our Skit Guys representative to just appreciate and recognize the freedom that we have in this great country because it is indeed a wonderful gift that we enjoy. Well, I do have a few announcements, most of which are reminders this morning. We are having a volunteer fair next Sunday uh, before first service and between to the both services and also after second service. And so if you are looking for a way to plug in and serve here at Victory Life Church May, I encourage you to attend our volunteer fair uh, we'll have team representatives representing our children's youth uh, ministry, our youth ministry, our welcome teams, our usher teams, all kinds of teams. And so we encourage you to stop by and check us out. And if you attend and come to each of our uh, volunteer tables, you can be entered into a raffle to win some really cool tickets to a really cool place. And so we hope that you'll pop by and stop by our volunteer fair uh, next week. Also, another reminder, I want to make mention of the fact that we will be changing our second service time. For those of you that come to first service, it's totally irrelevant. But if you choose to come to second service sometime in the near future, please know that we're changing from 11.15 a.m. to 11 a.m. effective next Sunday. So just wanted to remind you of that as well. Also, when you came in this morning, you likely received a little handout that looks like this. If you did, can you hold it up for me so I can confirm that you did receive it? Excellent. Looks like most of you did. Um, This is actually a prayer calendar for our our team that's going to Mexico on a mission trip here in the near future. And uh, we're going to have prayer for the team during the second service. And we covet your prayers, uh, and you can, do, uh, you can pray for our team by following this prayer calendar that has been given to you. It's very simple to follow, and it will help you to pray specifically during their trip. And so we would be much obliged if you would pray for our team uh, during their time in Mexico as they go down there to support uh, the church planting organization, uh, La Fuente Ministries. And so we're really excited about that as well. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. Uh, you can text to give, you can give online, or you can take one of those envelopes in the seat back in front of you and uh, give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the, the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. I can ask you to stand in preparation for worship this morning. And as we do so, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we come here this morning because we believe what the Apostle John said about you nearly 2,000 years ago. We believe this with all our hearts. He said in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who is Jesus, who came from you full of grace and truth. We believe that to be true. We believe that you are here with us right now, and may you continue to show yourself to us as we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's get excited this morning. All we want and all we need is found in Jesus. Oh, 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 oh,
reaching out to welcome you, God. Fill this place again with your song and flood our thoughts with wonder and awe. Give us a greater glimpse of a never-changing God. down to your love that we would see that we would see like never before give us a great glimpse of a never changing God Darkness tries to roll over my bones. 
When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know. Oh, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Sing no longer has a place to hide. For I am not a captive to the lies And I'm not afraid to leave my past behind Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken No, my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My feet doesn't stand a chance There's power that can empty out a grave There's resurrection power that can save There's power in your name Power in your name There's power that can break off every chain
Sing that one more time. And I am standing on the rock. Yes, I am standing in your love. I am standing on the rock. My firm foundation. My firm foundation. Jesus, you are our firm foundation. When we build our lives on you, Jesus, our lives are steady. Building our lives on you is like building our lives on the rock. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we get to come here and worship you. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. With you, there's no fear. With you, there's no grave. As we continue to sing of your beautiful name, let us just lift you up. Think of all these great things that you've done in our lives. Pray this on your name. Amen.
Father God, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus that represents our salvation. We know that the word Jesus itself means the Lord saves. 
every single person in this room has some type of revelation about that reality, about the fact that you stepped out of heaven here into this world, into our individual lives, to save us from eternal separation from you, but also to save us for something in this world. There is opportunity to advance your mission in this world through our individual lives. You have saved us for that. As we move into this time of communion, I pray that you would just enable us, help us, empower us, and anoint us to understand that on a deeper level. We thank you for saving us in spite of ourselves. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we thank you for these things. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're going to move into a time of communion this morning. And if you are a believer in Jesus and you feel comfortable partaking, you can join us as we do so. And at this time, I'd like to ask our communion servers to come and get prepared to serve as we reflect upon the meaning of communion uh, before we partake together. You know, we take communion because uh, we know that the God of heavens, the God of the heavens and the earth, stepped out of heaven and came to earth to bridge the gap between where we are in this world and where he is in heaven. And he did this through the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 5, 6. He says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless over our own sin, Christ died for us. You see, when we had no power to save ourselves, Christ entered into our lives and redeemed us. This is why we have communion, to remember this truth, to remember this story, and to remember this reality. And so during this time of communion, before we partake, and as we do so, may, may you know, may we all know, that what communion really represents is that Jesus not only at one time saved you, but he is continuously saving you for something. And he's attempting to deal with that which you have no power over as well. Does anyone feel powerless this morning? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe inside you feel that way. I have to admit to you, I came to church this morning feeling a little bit powerless over some specifics in my life. And when I read this verse, it just really resonated with me, and it reminded me of the power that God has through Jesus Christ over things I have no power over. And the same goes for you. And so as you hold the elements in your hand, the communion elements, may I remind you to engage God on a level, perhaps where you feel powerless, and ask him through his power to redeem over that which you feel powerless over. This is the story that we embrace, and that is why we believe it, because God did what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
And so as you come forward to receive your elements this morning, this is how it's going to go. Um, you will come out of the center aisles and come receive your elements and then re-enter your aisles on the outside. And uh, if you could just hold on to your elements until everyone has received them, uh, we will then take them together. And for those of you that are not able to get up out of your seat and receive the elements, please stay seated. Uh, after everyone has received their elements, we'll ask you to just raise a hand and we'll come to you and bring the communion elements to you. Can you come and receive the elements before we take together? that need the elements, may I encourage you to just raise your hand and our servers will come to you before we partake this morning together in unity. Well, as you know, on the night Jesus was betrayed, the Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 19, it says that he took a piece of bread like the one that we hold in our hands this morning. He said, he gave thanks and he broke a piece of it. 
and he gave it to his followers, people like you and I. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Can we take this bread together? After they took the bread together, Jesus held up some juice like this and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which will be poured out for you. That includes you and me. Can we take this juice together? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as imperfect people this morning. And what we know is that you are okay with that. When you find us, we were mired in imperfection. But even so, you continue to meet us where we are and redeem us. You gave your body and blood to illustrate your desire to redeem us. And you always come and reveal yourself at just the right time. And in fact, I know that you are working on hearts in this place right now in just the right time to redeem what needs redeemed. When we feel powerless, when we feel broken, when we feel like we can't put one foot in front of the other and go on, you step in and intervene and give us the ability to do what you want us to do. And so we thank you for what you've done already by dying on the cross and conquering the grave so that we could as well conquer our own personal struggles, our own personal sin, and setbacks. So we thank you for what you've done. And we thank you in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Thank you. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. And young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time. So if you've got a kiddo, grades K through 6, and they'd like to go to our children's church program, they're going out to the pavilion today. Yes! Fabulous! We are in the middle of a South Sanctuary remodel, so they get to go outside, and uh, Miss Jody will be bringing them back right here to our main lobby seconds after we conclude our service today. So you can just hang out, and she'll be bringing them back. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to turn in them to Matthew chapter 10, we are in the third week of a series called Essential Trust. We've been learning principles of God's provision, and today I want to talk about restrictions. Restrictions. I know that many of you are thrilled that there is no longer a restriction on fireworks in the state of Ohio. In fact, you started blowing them off on St. Patrick's Day, and you have not stopped 
through the 4th of July. It's going to be the 5th of July, the 6th of July, and there are going to be Labor Day fireworks parades going on in, in neighborhoods all over Ohio because now there is no legal culpability for blowing off the big boom-booms. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited that I have some great earplugs that are available to me. Uh, to sleep in the evenings, but I'll enjoy some fireworks. We don't like to be restricted as human beings. I think the angriest I've, I've gotten over a restriction in years is when one of my kids came home and said that they are no longer allowed to play tag at recess. Ugh. No more tag. I said, why? Well, kids are getting hurt. Well, tell them not to get hurt, right? Tag at recess is what needs to be happening, Don't put any restrictions on us or on me or anybody else. We hate restrictions as human beings. Well, today I have bad news. We are going to look at, I believe, the severest restriction that Jesus ever puts on his disciples. It's gross. It makes you want to puke. It's a restriction that that you're just not going to be happy with. And the good news is this restriction that we're going to see this morning, as we learn principles of God's provision, isn't a restriction of what? Meaning, we do not have to make a one-to-one parallel with the scriptures in order to obey the command. We don't have to follow the what of the restriction, but we do need to carry with us the why of the restriction. Because what we learn when we read the word of God, the inspired word of God, is that when God restricts blessing results... In fact, I think God's the only one that has the power to bring about good things with restrictions. He can bless us through what he restricts us from. And I want to see a restriction today with you that's incredibly important. Now, let me set the stage for this Essential Trust sermon and let you know that we are in probably the first or second year of Jesus' ministry. And he's recognizing with the time frame that he and the Father have decided upon, he is not going to be able to get to every town and village in Israel is not going to be able to do it. Part of the reason he called 12 disciples to his side, that he would be able to reach every town and village within Israel with the good news of the kingdom of God, that the Messiah had come. And here we're going to be reading today about the restrictions that he places on his disciples as he sends them out, because he has something important for them to learn about his provision and trusting in him. I hope we can learn the same lesson. Are you in Matthew chapter 10? Let's read verse 5 and following. These 12 disciples Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying... Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or two sandals or an extra staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town. And truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. 
And that's where we're going to stop this morning. We have a big plan of God that's going on here in Matthew chapter 10. The big story is out there. Jesus, who has come to earth in order to bring about salvation, is first bringing the story of the gospel, the story of salvation, the story of the kingdom to the people of Israel. After all, they had been part of God's plan from the beginning. They were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the ones, as Paul says, who had received the covenants. It was appropriate that Jesus and his first disciples would get to them first. That's what they needed to do. And he was going to get to them saying the reign of God has come. We're going to demonstrate in power that the reign of God has come. We're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, preach with authority so that the people of Israel will know this is the moment God had been preparing them for. This is the great reset. The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. The disciples are going to go out in his power to make sure that the towns and villages of Israel knew that everything was about to change. But it's the manner of their going that bothers me. The restrictions that are placed on these gentlemen are some of the harshest restrictions, if not the harshest, we ever see in all of Scripture. Look down again with me at the end of verse 8. We're going to focus in on a few verses here, and I want to read them again. Look at how Jesus sends his disciples out. He said, You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire, now, now that's in the subjunctive aorist, which means nothing to those of you who aren't English teachers, but in essence it means don't get ahead of time. Gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey. Two tunics or sandals or an extra staff. For the laborer deserves in his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Jesus is sending them into the football game without a helmet. I just, I, I look at this and I think, I am so glad, and we're going to see this later in the book of Luke, I'm so glad that this is not the rule for all time. In fact, it's not the rule for all time. Jesus is going to, to say, we did this for a time and for a season and for a reason. And I want to talk about that time and season and reason today. And why he has his disciples go out into the world as missionaries with so little to call their own. These men are sent in need of provision. And think about for a moment, as you look down at verse 11, the manner of provision. They're going to go into a town, and they're going to preach the kingdom of heaven as at hand. Jesus has come. Your Messiah is here. The world is changing forever. They're going to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, cast out demons. They're going to go and do ministry as Jesus did it. And then when nighttime comes, they have to hope that the Lord Jesus has spoken into the lives of someone in that town that's going to come up to them and say, where are you staying? And you say, uh, with you? Who's feeding you? Uh, you? This is the manner of their going. They're, they're not to make provision for themselves. They're not to acquire or get gold to put in their money belts on the way out. So so they can't stay at the inn. They can't buy bread. Jesus is sending them in need in a huge fashion here. Isn't that odd? I mean, what if today we sent missionaries with no money? For those of you going on the missions uh, missions trip, just, just walk to Mexico. 
right? And when you get there, try to say, are you going to feed me in Spanish? No, we don't do this today. And as I mentioned, this is, this is a specific thing for a specific time. But look at the restrictions he places on his disciples. He puts them in this position of needing from him. Now, the question is not necessarily the what, it's the why. Why would Jesus do this to them? Is it not enough for them to gain trust in him that they would be able to operate in his power? I can't imagine the first time I walked up to a leper and said, be healed in Jesus' name and their skin cleared, that I would ever have a problem trusting Jesus again. I mean, wouldn't that be enough? As we're talking about building essential trust, wouldn't it be enough that if somebody's spazzing out in a, in a demon-possessed state and you, 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 you reached out to them and say, in Jesus' name, you be bound and you flee, and that person all of a sudden comes into their right mind, wouldn't you go, me and Jesus are cool. That was awesome. I'll, I'll never not trust him again. Yet Jesus sends them in need of provision to establish a different kind of trust than going in power. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that there is a going out in power in the name of Jesus, with the gospel, with the kingdom, that changes things forever. Yet Jesus still desires to establish essential trust by means of provision. Why does he do that? Well, we, we, can, we can be clear because of the stories that we've looked at the past two weeks, the widow's might and the widow of Zarephath and Elijah, that, that God's provision establishes relationship. It really does. When you know God as your provider, it can establish your relationship with him in a powerful way. We watched him do this not only with Elijah last week, but we watched him do this with the widow of Zarephath. He establishes this trusting relationship where I am your provider. But he didn't restrict anybody like this to this point. Why did he restrict the disciples in such a way as to say you can make zero provision for yourself? You're not allowed to do anything that brings about a settlement of your material needs because Jesus knows that he has to protect their relationship. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Matt? Well, it goes back to this question, why didn't God make us all rich? Now, granted, I know you can turn on a TV preacher today that would tell you God desired you to be rich. He would be wrong and a liar, but he's on TV. Don't know which one he is, but just pick a channel, right? Why doesn't God make us all rich? If we're God's people and we work for Jesus, why doesn't he just go, Reverend Kershaw, here you go. Why doesn't he do that? Here's everything you'll ever need. Here's your bank full of money. Swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. Enjoy. Why doesn't he do that? Because he has done that. And what begins to happen when people have all of their material needs met is that the relationship begins to wane. He did it with Adam and Eve. They didn't have to work hard, and they had everything that they would ever have needed. They had abundance, and they rebelled. He did it with Solomon, richest man on the face of the planet. Elon Musk had nothing on him, and he married foreign wives and went after the Baals. And as we learned last week, affluent, powerful, money, money-rich people 
of the northern kingdom of Israel exchanged Yahweh for Baal. When you need provision from the Lord, it protects the relationship. Not only does it establish God as your provider, but it protects the Lord as your provider. Could you imagine the monsters that would have been created if they could heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and they were also incredible preachers, and they were rich? Could you imagine the power that they had that they could have said, look at me, look at my greatness, look at my awesomeness, look at what I'm doing. But Jesus desires that they continually put themselves in a need of his provision because it keeps them humble. It keeps them seeking because when you need something from the Lord, you seek him for that need. You look to him for that need. In humility, you come to him in that need. And it protects the relationship that you've had with him all along. In fact, this is the nature of God. He wants to pour out blessing to people in need. He's a covenant-making God, after all. Now, I was talking with Pastor Otto's life group this week about a covenant-making God. And the idea when you made a covenant was not that two equals enter into a partnership. A covenant-making God is a God who says, I will take care of you. You just stay faithful to me. I will provide for your needs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israelites, kingdom workers. You just stay faithful to me. That's the nature of covenant. He's covenanting with his disciples in this moment, saying, when you go into that village, when you go into that town, when you go into that place that's scary, where you don't know where your next meal is coming from, I'll be there. I'm ahead of you. I am already working for your good. Just continue to put yourself in a position where you need from me. How many times did they hit a village and once again God provided for their needs miraculously and they thought, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. How many times did that random person come up and go, where are you staying tonight? And they went, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Are you guys hungry? No, no, yes. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Those sandals look a little bit worn. I've got an extra pair. Would you like them? Trade them out? Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Your tunic is ripped. Did you get in some briars? I've got a tunic. I'm just about your size. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Putting yourself in a position to need from the Lord gives God every opportunity to prove that he is with you. It protects and establishes your relationship. Well, what if my tunic wears out? Jesus will be with me. What if I can't find hospitality? Jesus will be with me. What if I don't have money to stay at the inn? Jesus will be with me. If I don't have an extra staff to defend myself from robbers, what will I do? Jesus will be with me. He's your provision, and he's your protection. From a very human standpoint, we read a passage like this, Matthew chapter 10, verses 8 and following, and we think, these men went out in weakness. But I would argue today that they went out in great strength because they didn't go out in their own strength. 
they went out in the power of the Lord, looking to him to meet their need. How many of you know Amazing Grace? You ever sang it in church before? Yeah, everybody. Thanks for raising your hands. Great audience participation. If you fail me again, we're getting up to do group calisthenics. Anyhow, Amazing Grace, most famous of all hymns, right? John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, wrote another hymn, and I thought it was so apropos today. I just want to read it to you. It's going to come up on the, on the screen. Because the fourth verse that I'm going to read to you, I think, really hits the central idea of why Jesus has them restricted in the way that he does. This is only going to take a moment. I invite you to look up on the screen and participate with me in, in reading this. Newton wrote, Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide, the promise assures us, the Lord will provide. The birds without garner or storehouse are fed, from them let us learn to trust God for our bread. His saints, what is fitting, shall ne'er be denied, so long as tis written, the Lord will provide. When Satan assails us to stop up our path and courage all fails us, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though off he has tried, the heart-cheering promise, the Lord will provide. No strength of our own and no goodness we claim. Yet since we have known the Savior's great name, in this our strong tower, for safety we hide, the Lord is our power the Lord will provide. The world says to put yourself in position to need from Christ is a weakened position. The Bible claims that it is the only position of strength because relying on God's provision and protection is a position of strength. He restricts them. He restricts them in a way that he restricts few others because his first disciples are going to need to know that the real position of strength is not to see to all your needs, but to trust God to see to them. That is strength. Now, we don't have to stay this way forever. This same Jesus was also the one who said, if a man's going to build a tower, he should estimate the cost ahead of time, isn't he? And if you want to look down at a companion verse to this, on the night before Jesus was betrayed in Luke 22, 35, and 36, he goes back to his disciples and say, when I sent you without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, we lacked nothing. But then he said to them, well, the time is coming to operate in a different fashion. And you can go read that on your own this week if you desire to. The time is coming that things are going to change. This is not God's modus operandi for every minister in the history of the world, every missionary in the history of the world, every gospel bearer in the history of the world. But he is establishing a principle that he does not want his disciples to derivate from. It's not the what. I could have stood up here today and said, you're not allowed to have a purse anymore. That'd be stupid, right? That's not what he's saying. You're, you're not allowed to make provision next time you go on a trip. Well, I'll be making provision next time I go on a trip. Band-Aids, first aid cream, lots of extra clothes for the kids, beach towel. I'll be taking it all because I don't want to be without. God's not saying the what matters. It's the why that matters. The why is are you putting yourself in the position of strength to rely upon the Lord? 
That's the position of strength that the Bible wants for every single one of us. But there's one more idea that I think is important. These initial disciples were sent out, and they said, Jesus said to them, verse 8, freely it's been given to you, so give freely. Meaning when somebody goes, you healed my leprosy, take it, take this. No, thank you, the Lord will provide. That's, that was, you know, the town Poobah walks up. That was, a, that was a powerful sermon. I really enjoyed that. Here, let me give you something for your trouble. No, no. Freely it's been given to me, so freely I give. How against human nature, Right? When you know that your next meal's not provided for, the place you're staying that night isn't provided for, your sandals that are wearing out have not been provided for, yet in Christ they already have been. But you've got to say no. That's the position he puts his disciples in. Because people who have truly known God as their provider, they go as givers. That's what Jesus expects, that his people go as givers. Here's the neat thing, folks. When you put yourself in position to need something from the Lord, he will put you in position to give. You say, but I don't have anything to give. Neither did the widow of Zarephath, did she? Neither did the disciples. Don't you love that Jesus says, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yet he and his disciples had a money bag that they gave to the poor. Think about that for a minute. God's people go as givers. That's what he has to establish. Because if he can break you of human pride in your own power, break you of the ability to say, I always provide for myself, I always take care for myself, I always take care, and he can break you of that, and you can actually put yourself in a position of need from him, you can become the giver that he designed you to be. God's people go as givers. See, it's not the what. It's not the what. It's the why. Freely it's been given to you, so freely you give. See, that's the powerful exchange as we begin to turn in this sermon series that we're going to begin to see. That you trust the Lord not only to provide for you, but you also trust the Lord so you can give like nobody else. You know he's going to provide for you. So you continue to give and give and give and give. It's the established relationship that he wants with each one of us. An established trust that says, you are my vehicle of blessing. So be that. I'll provide your needs. You bless others. A couple of years ago, I had a man that called me and he said, I I have a, a discipleship curriculum that I want to talk to you about. It was a stranger. And I thought, I don't want to give you any money, no. But he said, it doesn't cost you anything. I just want to consult with you. And I thought, okay, well, on behalf of Victory Life, I'll consult. So I said, well, all right, well, why don't you come up to the church and, and I'll make your acquaintance. So the gentleman came up and he sat down in my office. And I found out that he was from a particular discipleship organization. And he wasn't selling anything. He wanted to make me aware of the discipleship materials that were available And he wanted to talk to me about how churches that have implemented some of those things had really been blessed. And so I asked him, so this is what you do? He says, yeah, I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income, but this is what I do. 
I just go to different churches. I make them aware that, that this discipleship material exists, and I try to help them do a better job of discipling. I said, so do you get paid? No, it's a volunteer position. I said, but you get a commission. He said, no, I don't get a commission. None of this is computing at this point. <laughs> and so I found out where he had worked and where he lived, and I saw his car, man of humble means, spending his retirement years just blessing churches. So we met a couple of times, and I thought, this is really neat, and he gave us stuff that our, our ministries have used. It was, it was great. It was great stuff. So somewhere in the middle of our relationship, he says, let's, let's do breakfast, you know, to talk more about this. And I said, sure. Now, if you ask my children, they would tell you that's the best part about being a pastor, breakfasts and lunches with people. <laughs> they ain't lying. But anyhow... He said, let's do breakfast. And so we got up to the counter of Panera, and we both ordered our food. And I pulled out my nifty church credit card that the trustees provide me so I can take care of somebody on a breakfast like this. And the man shoved me. He went like this. And this man on a fixed income, who's there to bless me, puts his card in the card reader. I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm paying for breakfast. I said, no, you're not. You're blessing me in my church. I'm paying for breakfast. He said, no, I'm paying for breakfast. And he looked at me and said, I work for the king. I said, you can pay for breakfast. <laughs> Powerful lesson. Think about this for just a moment, how, how wrong that was. For me to buy that man's bagel sandwich, I had the financial backing of, all, backing of all the tithes and offerings of Victory Life Church. But he definitely knew the Lord as his provider and insisted. God's people go as givers. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, that we would know that we work for the king that we would see you in our day-to-day -day lives and say, Jesus is with me. Lord, there is not a one-size-fits-all requirement that comes with a sermon like this. Simply a challenge of the Holy Spirit to individual hearts. God, do I know you this way? And is it possible that I have walked in the power and the strength of the gospel yet do not fully know you today as my provider. What would I need to do to know you as my provider in order that I may come the giver that you've designed me to be? What would I need to do to put myself in a position of humility in order to allow you to show your strength? The Lord knows. And I just want to invite you in this moment to ask him. Lord, do I know you this way? Do I trust you this way? Do I see you this way?
Help me to know you in the way Abraham knew you. The way David, hiding in caves, knew you. The way faithful Ruth knew you. Help me to know you as the one who provides so you can make me the one who gives. For just a moment, you pray your prayer and then we'll close. Lord, we thank you for the moments, the moments that push us to trust you more, to build our faith. Lord, even in the moments that are uncomfortable, Lord, we thank you for it because in the process, we're leaning into you more because we need you. And sometimes we need reminded. But Lord, will we remember the moments you were faithful? That we can walk in trust and in step with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, come on, y'all. Can we give a, a hand clap, a shout to Jesus this morning for what he's doing in our lives? Man, he is worthy of celebration, worthy of our praise. But man, what a uh, such a challenging uh, sermon this morning from Pastor Matt. Um, he had to slip out to go to a meeting, but um, man, I, I hope it challenged you. I hope you lean into what God is trying to speak to you, uh, to you this morning. And 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 I would challenge you too uh, later today or this week. Just ask God again, God, what are you speaking to me? Some of you may have heard from the Lord this morning, and some of you are still leaning into that. But keep leaning into that and ask God, God, what do you want me to do to step out, to always be in a position of need from you? Because I promise you, it's all throughout Scripture that when somebody has stepped out and put themselves in a position of need of God, he has come through but he's also used people to bless others.
And so, can I, can I pray for us real quick before we go? Yeah? Can we do that? All right. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for our time this morning. We hope you are blessed by our worship and prayers to you, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.